Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Every say beginning. In other words, it's the appetizer. It's not the main meal. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I want you to think about that for a moment because how many have ever tried to say something to somebody to give a, an alternate point of view on way in which you might want to think about this as well. But you know that what you're saying, it's like you're going to poke a bear. Okay? And so the Bible says a, a wise man knows when and where and how to withhold wisdom. And so I, I actually think to myself when I read this Bible verse, I think the reason why our world is so broken and confused is because we have no fear of God. See, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. But fools actually despise that wisdom. Are you hearing me? And so look at this, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it goes, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. I love that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the fear of God, to me, is the appetizer. It's the gateway into what is wisdom. Amen? But we have worldly wisdom today. And worldly wisdom today really has created a whole lot of confusion. But if you try to push back on worldly wisdom, you will find out how violent and aggressive that worldly wisdom is. And how much people don't want to hear the wisdom of God because there is no fear of God. And I'm praying today that we understand, as I talk about out of this series of Proverbs, I want to talk about wisdom today. And so we, we live in a world that's so confused. We've got gender identity confusion. I just saw just this week, there was a, uh, a transgender um, a man who now identifies as wisdom, he, as a woman rather, and he's playing on a women's volleyball team. Apparently the volleyball net is not quite as high because men are taller than women. And so he got up and smashed that ball and really injured another person on the volleyball team. And I'm thinking, we've lost our mind. Like, this is crazy. And if we can't call that crazy and unfair, then something's wrong with us. Amen. I mean, identify with whoever you want to identify with. But come on, let's just be able to tool some wisdom, some wisdom. Amen? So we're looking, and we call right wrong and wrong right. We've rejected God's word. And the Bible says the fear of God. Now, you wonder why the world's so confused. It's because there's no fear of God anymore. Come on, somebody. And so the Bible says that we're supposed to get wisdom. Proverbs 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. So the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But then it goes and says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. I love that. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. The fear of, listen to this, the beginning of God is this. Get wisdom. Amen. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. Can I tell you, all we got to do is ask God for godly wisdom, and he'll give it to you. And it says, but let him ask 
believing that he has received and not doubting like the waves of the sea and the wind. He goes, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I just want to encourage us today out of Proverbs that wisdom, I believe, when, I, when it says the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me wisdom is obtainable. But you're not going to get it from the world. You're not going to get it from the movies. You're not going to get it from a Hollywood pop star. Pop star, that didn't make sense. A Hollywood movie star or a pop star. I don't even know that Kanye West is going to give us a lot of wisdom. Amen? Just depends what mood he's in, doesn't it? So the Bible tells me that wisdom is obtainable. And the Bible tells me that not only is it attainable, but wisdom is more valuable than anything you could ever possess in your life. Listen to it again. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Proverbs 8 verse 11. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can desire can compare with her. I wonder what things we chase after. I wonder what kind of things we pursue. We might pursue, pursue a relationship with someone. If I can just get close to that person, then I could be more successful. And we do a lot to try to steer ourselves, to get connected to this person, because we think that somehow our success is dependent upon what somebody else will do for us, rather than realize that God is the one that builds your life, and God's wisdom will give you godly success in Jesus' name. But we try to, if I go to that college, if I marry that person, if I do, if I get that job, if I go about and align myself with this person, and we spend so much time pursuing things that we think will make us successful, but the Bible tells me, listen to it carefully, that wisdom is more precious than rubies. How much time have we actively, intentionally sought after the wisdom of God? It is more valuable than rubies. If I told you there was a pot of gold at the end of Virginia Beach Boulevard, I want to tell you, there'd be not a person in this room that wouldn't get out of this auditorium right now and get in your car and go try and find that. Matter of fact, we have all these social media things, treasure hunters, where people go on treasure hunts. Sometimes I've seen them right here in the parking lot. What are they called? What's it called, Robert? No, Pokemon? Okay, Robert, this is the 21st century. That's a probably is called Pokemon to tell you the truth. Probably Robert's more in touch than I am. But I've seen it. People driving all over town. I see people just trying to be number one in something. I got a friend who's the number one Madden football player, and he gets paid to give Madden advice. He pastors a church. How can you be the number one Madden football player and pastor a church at the same time? One of those is gonna have to give a little, right? <laughs> But we, we, we chase after things, but how much have we chased after wisdom? How much have we actually thought to myself, I need to get godly wisdom? So I've got a couple of thoughts about it. You ready for this? Amen. You ready for this? Okay, let me try it again. Are you ready for this? A couple of thoughts. Number one, you can lose sight of wisdom. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 21. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. It says, Preserve sound judgment and discretion, my son. So in other words, you can let it out of your sight. Because it's saying don't let it out of your sight. 
In other words, I want to just say this, you can lose sight of the wisdom of God. I wrote down a couple of thoughts about what am I trying to say. I believe this with all my heart. When you change your focus, you change your emotions. You need to write that down. When you change your focus, you change your emotions. You need to write that down. That's, that's godly wisdom right there. So what am I saying? You can't let wisdom out of your sight. And when your emotions start getting down, you just have to ask yourself, well, what am I focusing on? Am I focusing on all the bad things that are happening in life, or am I focusing on all the good things that are happening? See, when you change your focus, you change your emotions. That's true negatively, but it's also true positively. There's some conversations and some people, and I mean this respectfully, I just... I want to be around people who I'm lifting people. I don't want to suck the air out of the room. I want to put faith in the room. I don't want to be the mocker that Jesus drove out when he said, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And they all began to mock him. And Jesus had those people removed from the room because he knew there could be no miracle. There could be no breakthrough. There could be no raising of the dead in a room full of just people who were doom and gloom. And I want to tell you, when you change your focus, you will change your emotions. Amen? Amen? And I'm, I have to be very careful about conversation. I want to be around people who are down. I want to be around people to lift them up. But I don't want to become one of them. I don't want to be somebody who's just all doom and gloom. Listen to this. You will never possess what you are not willing to pursue. You'll never have what you're not willing to chase after. And I want to say, the Bible says, do not let wisdom out of your sight. Don't let, it's like some, you know, I mean, with kids, you can't trust them out of your sight. But the Bible says wisdom, don't, whatever you do, don't let it out of your sight. Number two, wisdom requires the right voices in your life. Wisdom requires the right voices. Listen to Proverbs 4 verse 1. It says, get wisdom at any cost. Listen, my sons, to a father's instructions. Pay attention and gain understanding. You see, wisdom requires the right voices. Who are the fathers? Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. So you've got to have the right people in your life bringing wisdom into your life. You've got to be careful about having the right voices. You've got to choose. If we're going to chase after wisdom, and the Bible says, listen, my son, to a father's instruction, pay attention and gain understanding, you've got to choose who your father is. You've got to pursue that. You've got to go after that with all your heart. Listen to this. And I want to say this. The enemy has gone after fathers like any, like I've never seen before. Just turn on every TV show and every sitcom. And the dad and the families of sitcoms are losers. They have no voice. They have no wisdom. They're, they're broken, defeated. And I want to tell you, even in the church, Paul said, you've got many you know, teachers, but you don't have many fathers. And I want to encourage you, who are the people who are the fathers in your life? And I believe with all my heart, one of the places where that starts is in a natural family, but the enemy's gone after that. You look at the broken nucleus family of today, and let me tell you, the enemy is aware that if he takes dad out of the home, the authority figure, direction, leadership, covering, all of those voices are removed, and that people are broken and confused. Amen. It's true in the church. I believe God wants to raise up fathers in the house. Come on. 
Fathers who give godly wisdom. And come on, I, I know some people who are highly intelligent but have no wisdom. Highly intelligent, educated, out the wazoo, but have no wisdom. And I want to say this, when there's no fear of God, when you have no fear of God, it just means you're not wise. When somebody has no fear of God, they might have worldly wisdom, but there's no godly wisdom in their life. Now, I love Sharon's mother and father. I actually think Sharon's mother and father have come this amazing journey. But I remember when we first got married, Sharon's dad said, listen, I want to let you two know that, you know, if this marriage doesn't work out, don't be thinking, you know, and, and they had good reason. I was just newly saved and I don't blame them. You understand? Not a nice thing to say to someone nonetheless. Um, doesn't work out. I remember for our 20th anniversary, got a, uh, an anniversary card. Happy anniversary. Who would have thought it would have lasted this long? <laughs> true, true story. Funny thing. Now, I think he was saying that a little tongue-in-cheek. I think he was beginning to realize we really are going to stay married. I, I, he really didn't like the idea of us being pastors. He, he just was fearful for his daughter that she would be married to some gypsy that would go from place to place. And I, I think now we're about to celebrate our, our 39th anniversary. I think they're really starting to figure it out. And how is it we've stayed married for 39 years? Because we've had fathers in our life. We've had people speak into our lives. I remember when I wanted to marry Sharon, I didn't just go and ask her to marry me. I talked to some people who I really valued their wisdom. I was 19 years old. That's young. That's too young. But I really wanted to marry this girl. I was in love with her, and we dated for a couple of years. And so the first person I went to, I went to two people who were married. And I said, listen, you guys have gotten married. Do you think I'm mature enough? And do you think I'd be man enough to handle being married at this young age? Because I love this girl. I don't think I'm too young. I want to marry her. And they said, Steve, we think you're good. We think you're mature. I then went to my pastor. And I said, hey, listen, if you just think, Steve, not now. Wait another year, another two years. I'll listen to you. But I love this girl. And I believe we're called to do life and ministry together. And if you... You give me a, Sharon never even knew I was doing this. And then he said, you have my blessing. We don't live in a generation like that anymore. We don't have people looking for wisdom and advice and helping encourage us. Come on, somebody say amen. And so I, I want you to catch this. You've got to have the right voices. And so over the years, I've watched Sharon's mother and father completely change their attitude. And what it was, there was no one thing that we had done, and I certainly wouldn't want to take the credit for it. I just thank God I've had the right voices in my life that have kept us married, kept us in ministry, kept us serving God for all the highs and the lows. And I want to encourage you, you've got to get the right voices in your life. Amen? So here's the thought. What you repeatedly hear, you will eventually believe. Write that down. What you repeatedly hear... Some of you need to turn off Fox News. Some of you need to turn off CNN, constantly negative news. Some of you have got to be really more intentional about getting the right voices. Some people have got to listen, stop listening to all the conspiracy theorists out there. The world's coming to an, and even some Christians 
My gosh, there's some voices out there that are freaky. People proclaiming the Lord's coming back on this day. People prophecies of doom and gloom. What you repeatedly hear, you will eventually believe. I believe this is the church's finest day. I believe this is the church's finest hour. I believe this is the time for the church to shine. Come on. So you're listening to all the rising gas prices and inflation. You can talk yourself into a place of fear. You can shrink your world, but not me. I have made a decision about this, whatever it's called. We're not allowed to call it a recession. Apparently, we're not calling it that. I've made a decision. I'm not joining it. I'm connected to Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. He will supply all my needs according to his riches and his glory. And I believe the church is the hope of the world. And if we can bring our finances and build the kingdom of God, God will build your life. And I've never been more encouraged. I've never been more bold to declare that if you look after God's house, he will look after your house. You got to stop listening to all the doom and gloom. (laughs) Because what you repeatedly hear, you will eventually believe. I have this wisdom thought how I live my life. Never discuss a problem with someone who's incapable of solving it. Never discuss a problem with someone who's incapable of solving your problem. All you're going to do is add to the confusion. All you're going to do is just make it heavier. And I want to make God's word heavier, not the situation. Come on, somebody say amen. Number three, is this helping anybody? Helping anyone? Okay, number three, wisdom will fight for you and protect you. I love this thought. Listen to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 6. Do not forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Sounds like your wife, doesn't it? Don't forsake your wife, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Listen to this. Write, Write this down. Listen to this. Don't spend your life standing at the complaint counter. Don't spend. Everywhere you go, it's just a complaint. Everywhere you go, every restaurant you've been to, every hotel you've ever stayed at, every, every interaction you have at a supermarket, don't spend your life standing at the complaint counter. You see, wisdom will fight for you, and wisdom will protect you in Jesus' name. Think about that. Just think about just, you know, somebody who gets caught up in road rage. That's honestly not my deal at all. I used to be a little short-tempered. My favorite memory of all my life still to this day is when I was driving behind Robert Cameron's daughter one night, Robert Margaret Cameron's daughter, and, and I saw it was her, and I saw there's a young guy driving the car, who shall rename, we'll just call him Brad. And, uh, and so I, I went, oh, look, it's uh, Brad and Steph. And so I got right up close behind them in my car, and then I started honking my horn. I'm just doing it for fun. And all of a sudden, he doesn't know who it is. And I saw his hand come out the window And I saw a particular finger that was pointing at me. And I got beside him. And he has got rage in his face. And I'm laughing my head off. But then when he saw me, he went. (laughs) Wisdom will fight for you. Wisdom will protect you if you pursue it. And I want to tell you, the Bible says the glory of God has got your rear guard. 
But we've got to be people who keep focusing on moving forwards. We've got to be people who are focusing on what's ahead of us, not what's behind us. If we spend all that time just talking about what's behind us, that's your back. Can I tell you, God's got your back. God's got your back. The whole armor of God is forward. There's nothing in the armor of God that protects your back. God's glory. And I want to encourage you. You need to know that when you build your life with wisdom, she will protect you. She will guard you. She will help you in Jesus' name. Number four, wisdom takes advice. Proverbs 13, verse 10. Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Where there is strife, there is pride. Boy, that's a true statement. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Amen? Here's the thought. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends. I don't even need to meet you. Just let me see your friends. And I'll be able to tell, let me show you my friends. And I'll show you my future. You see, wisdom takes advice. Amen? And a person who is wise is someone who's open to a contrary point of view. A person who is wise is open to godly, wise fathers who will step in and say, Steve, don't think like that. Steve, you got to get past that. Steve, you got to stop talking about that. Steve, you got to be better than that. Steve, let it go. Wisdom takes advice. Amen? I, I've tried to help some people, but you can only help them as much as they are willing to listen. Amen? And one of the things I've discovered, there are some people you can't help. I can't help someone who thinks, I am their problem. If they think I'm the problem, I can't help them. There are some people you can't help. Do you know the two brothers that went to Jesus? And they said, Jesus, would you please sort this out? We're having a, a, a fight, a dispute over the distribution of our inheritance. And Jesus refused to get involved. There are some people you just can't help. Let me tell you another person you can't help. Number one, you can't help someone who thinks you're their problem. But number two, you can't help someone who won't take God's wisdom and act on it. Because if you're offering, someone's in trouble financially, and the first question I'm going to ask them is, are you tithing? And they go, no. I go, well, I can't help you. Because if you're not tithing, you're actually saying, I don't trust God. I trust my health, my job, my ability, my strength. But if you're tithing, you say, Lord, the first 10% belongs to you. Amen. So I, can, I can't help someone who won't take God's word and listen to it. Come on, very quiet in here all of a sudden. Okay, number five, wisdom comes easily to some and impossible for others to find. Wisdom comes easily to some, but not everybody. And it's impossible to find for others. Proverbs 14, verse six, the mocker seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge comes easily to the discerning. The mocker, listen to it carefully, seeks wisdom and finds none. But knowledge comes easily to the discerning. Here's the thought. If you're a person who your first response to life is negative, mocking, doubtful, then I want to tell you, wisdom will be hard to find. And you won't find it. But it comes easily to people, the Bible says, who are discerning. 
I want to encourage us when it comes to our conversations to people. Let's make sure we are wise in our conversations. Let's make sure we don't allow that mocking, that doubting, that negative, half-empty mentality. I say this all the time, and I, I wonder whether people think I'm serious, but I really am. I, you know, sometimes you go up to someone and go, hey, how you doing? And they go, not too bad. And I think to myself, what kind of an answer is not too bad? Like, why don't you say, bordering on good? And I'd say, you laugh, but I mean it. I actually mean it. Why would you go down the road of just negative? Why would you get down the road? I mean, maybe life's been challenging. Maybe life's been tough. I get it. Life can be tough. But I always say, hey, it's been tough, but I'm walking through the valley. I'm not camping in the valley. <clears throat> we can mock the wisdom of God so easily and so quickly. We can mock it whenever when it comes to health. Well, you've got to expect these things when you get to be my age. Yeah, you'll get whatever you expect. But I'm expecting my God's my healer. I'm expecting my God is my strength. I'm expecting that God is in me, God is for me. That's not to say I'm not without challenge, just like everybody else. But, you know, all wintertime. You know what happens at wintertime? Everybody gets sick. I'm not expecting sickness. Amen? Now, don't get me wrong. I've experienced sickness, but I was just talking to my son Josh and my uh, other son Sam, and they're both right now sick. They got colds and Sam, and I go, Sam, when was the last time? Do you remember the last time your father has ever got a cold? And to tell you the truth, Sharon, I try and think about it. I can't remember the last time I got a cold. I honestly can't. I don't, it was years and years ago. And I'm not saying... I'm healthier, trust me, they're younger and stronger. I'm just living this life that whatever you expect is going to come. And I see doctors trying to put things on people. Well, you've got a genetic predisposition to this. You've got to expect this. I get we've got to make sure we take care of ourselves. I, I'm not afraid to have things checked out. I'm not afraid because of what's in my family line that I'm not unaware of the health challenges that come. But I'm telling you what I'm expecting. I'm expecting my God as my healer. I'm expecting that my God is good. Come on. I don't want to have somebody who mocks the wisdom of God. And like, I mean, for years and years, and this is a true story, for years and years, we, we never really had a, a medicine, what do you call it, cabinet. You know, there's, we never had one. Do you know what I used to have in there? A Bible. And that to me was my first medicine. That to me is my first source. I'm going to God before I go to anybody. Come on, somebody. And that's what I'm talking about, mocking. There's a, there's a mocking spirit that will rob you. And wisdom comes easily to the discerning. But a mocker looks for wisdom and never finds it in Jesus' name. Number six, I'm preaching better than you're listening. Wisdom doesn't have wandering eyes. Listen to Proverbs 17, verse 24. A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. So here's a question. What are you looking for? Here's another question. Not only are you, what are you looking for, but what are you looking at? See, the whole point of Jesus saying, if anybody has the faith the size of a mustard seed, he says, you could say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. Well, see, whatever the mountain is that's in front of you, the mountain of your business, the mountain of your marriage, the mountain of your children not really living the life that you are believing God for them to live, 
They've made decisions that got them off course. They got themselves in trouble. That's the mountain that's in front of you. Whatever the mountain is, maybe it is a, a health mountain. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your finances. Can I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, listen, be thou removed and cast into the sea. Listen, some of us used to get used to the mountain view. It's so high, we can't get over it. So low, we can't get under it. So wide, we can't get around it. And some of us have actually learned to put that up as a piece of art in the house. Look at the mountain. But the whole point is the mountain is what's on the other side of the mountain. It's what you want to see. So you're telling the mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. But because behind the mountain is the promises of God. And that mountain, you're blocking my view. And I want to encourage you, what are you looking at? What is it that you are looking for? Listen, I love this story where Abraham and Lot, and God said to Abraham, I want you to go, leave your land and leave your family and go to a land that oh, you've not been there before, but I'm going to take you somewhere. I want you to go to Canaan. And of course, he brings Lot with him, which is a big mistake because God told him, leave your family. But he brings Lot. And what happens is they get into dispute. Because they both had so much wealth that their servants were fighting one another. And then Abraham says, God, what's going on? He goes, I never told you to take Lot. And I love what Abraham does. He says to Lot, listen, man, isn't working out. It's, it's not you, it's me. So here's what I'll do. You choose whatever you want. You go wherever you want. Because Abraham knew, God said, look up. See the stars? So shall your offspring be. God said to Abraham, everywhere you put your foot, I'll give it to you. Every, Abraham knew, God is with me wherever I am. Some of us don't realize that. Some of us think we've got to be on this razor's edge of what God's doing in our lives. So Lot, the Bible says, looked toward the fields of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it looked green, and it looked luscious. And he says, I'll take that. And Abraham was left with the desert. And some of you feel like, man, if I just lived somewhere else, if I just married someone else, if I just worked somewhere else, if I just went to a different college, then I'd be more successful. Can I tell you, God can find you wherever you are, and God can bless you. And he did not let Lot's decision make him feel less about what God had promised him. But you look at this. The Bible says that the next thing you know, Lot saw those fields. And then he, the Bible says he, he went and pitched his tent. Listen to it. He pitched his tent. I want to show it to you. Uh, where are we? Uh, Genesis 13, verse 12. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, while Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent toward Sodom. The opening of his tent. The first thing when he came out of the tent was seeing Sodom. What are you looking at? What are you putting in front of you? And every morning, and we know Sodom and Gomorrah was a godless city. We know Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed. We know that Lot's wife ended up getting turned into a pillar of salt. And we know that one of the worst stories in the Old Testament, the sin of the debauchery that was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. And let me tell you something. He pitched his tent to something he should never set his eyes toward. Well, the next thing you know, if you read on, not only has he pitched his tent towards them, but now he's living on the outskirts of Sodom. And then you read a little bit further, and all of a sudden he's right in the middle of the city. And then you read a little further, and he's one of the key leaders in the city. 
And that doesn't take long. Listen, some people think, how do I get here? There's no one immediate decision. Wherever you pitch your tent toward, whatever you're looking at, your life is taking you in that direction. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Number seven, listen to this one. I love this one. Just some things about wisdom out of the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is patient. Isn't that true? Wisdom is patient. Proverbs 19, verse 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. Listen to this. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Wisdom, a person's wisdom yields patience. Sometimes I've had people say to me, Pastor, come over and just pray for me and cast this demon out of me. If you just cast this demon out of me, I'll be better. Well, I'm not so sure sometimes it is a demon. I actually think the Bible says when it says, do not be ignorant of the devil's devices, that I think sometimes what we think of the devil isn't. What we think is of the devil isn't of the devil. And I think there are some things that are of the devil that we have no wisdom as to what it was, that it was the devil. Like the devil was on the back of the storm that tried to stop Jesus from going over the other side of the lake. And there was demonic activity. He rebuked the storm. He censored it. He assessed the nature of it. He passed judgment on it. And he identified satanic activity on the back of the storm. And he spoke to the storm and the storm sat down because Jesus rebuked it. He censored it. He assessed the nature of it. He passed judgment on it. And sometimes I think what we think is the devil is just us. But it's far easier to blame a devil than it is to renew our mind. It's, it's the devil's fault. It's not me. No, it's not the devil. You just got to renew your mind. There is no quick fix. You know the old Pentecostal motto, if in doubt, cast it out. Are you hearing me? And I actually think sometimes deliverance is a cop out for repentance. Rather than repent, Lord, I've sinned. Lord, I've allowed this weakness in my life. Lord, I have not renewed my mind. Lord, my focus has been somewhere it shouldn't have been. And rather than deal with those things, we'll just go, it's the devil. So pastor, come over, lay hands on me, get the devil out of me, and I'll never do that again. I wished it was that easy. Come on, somebody. Somebody say amen. amen. See, we want the angel to stir the water. There was a man laying by a pool for 38 years, and he was crippled. And Jesus walked up to him and said one of the most insensitive things I could ever think of that Jesus could ever ask. Do you want to get better? He's been lying by a pool for 38 years. And Jesus, if you don't understand what he's doing, looks like he's being really mean. Do you want to get better? He's been there for 38 years trying to get in the water. Anytime the angel comes once a year, stirs the water, first in, best dress, God healed. He was waiting for the quick fix. 38 years, waiting for his moment. And he says, Lord, i got no one to help me. Every time the angel comes, stirs the water, someone always gets in before me. With all the excuses in the world why he was still crippled. And Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, walk. What a challenging thing. He's actually saying, you've gotten so used to being sick, you don't want to get better. You've learned, under the, you've learned to live under the labels. You've learned to, and you've got a whole community of people around you. Maybe some of the people got healed. Oh, what a shame. Josh got healed. Wasn't Josh a great guy? He's healed. He's not with us anymore because he's healed. And we start missing the people in our lives that aren't in our lives anymore because misery loves company. 
Am I talking to anybody here? So we want the quick fix. We want someone to come and just, you know, do this, and it'll all get better. Well, I think to myself, I, I, I know some people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and read the Bible every day. But that doesn't mean you're exempt from being actually understand the importance of needing wisdom and needing patience. Listen to this. Write this down. I, I, I think this is a great thought. Patience is the weapon that forces deception to reveal itself. Patience is the weapon that forces deception to reveal itself. Sometimes we, we, we don't like patience because patience takes time. But patience is a great proving ground. And sometimes we're just too impulsive. Like Paul said about the Corinthian church, you were led away by your own impulsive actions and your own impulsive desires. You were led away by your own feelings. Remember I said before, if you change your focus, you change your emotions. And I want to say to you that patient, wisdom is patient. And if you feel God's calling you to do something, sometimes it's really good to just put that through some patience. I learned years ago that burden does not in and of itself necessitate timing. I was born in Queens, New York, moved to Australia when I was eight years old. The moment I moved to Australia, I said, I'm coming back. And then when I was 12, my parents asked me, did I be want to become an Australian citizen? I said, not if it means I lose my American citizenship. And so I actually kept, uh, I didn't even have a jewel. I just had my American passport and my parents actually got uh, naturalized and they become Australian citizens and all I've ever had was a permanent resident visa. I've even lost that now. I've been in America so long, I have to get a visa to go to Australia. That's ridiculous. But that's the way it is. 17, I became a Christian. I went, oh, now I know why I want to go back to America. One day I'll pastor a church. Do you know the day came when I was 35 that God said go? And I honestly believe had I gone earlier, I'd have missed God. Because I learned the burden in and of itself does not necessitate timing. Patience. We inherit the promises of God through faith and... Okay, it's very quiet. Praise the Lord. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Ah, my time's up. Last one. I'll give you my last one. I got, I got 10, but I'll give you my... This is the last one. Wisdom overlooks offenses. Listen to it one more time. Proverbs 19, verse 11. A, a person's wisdom yields patience. I want to tell you, you show me somebody who's patient, and I'll show you somebody who's wise. Amen? It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Write this down. I'm up. Come on, singers, musicians, come on back. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Let me just see how many people here, and everybody online, I want you to give me an emoji now. How many people here, somewhere in out the course of your life, has been offended? Can I see? Okay. Okay, that's it. Okay. How many in the last since January this year to up until now, which is October, sometime in the last 10 months, you've been offended. Can I see your hand? Okay. Put your hand down. One more time. Don't put your hand up on this one. How many of you are honest to enough, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, where you realize you've done something that's offended someone? I, I know I have. Sometimes I've made some, like, offensive 
decisions that others would interpret as offensive. I didn't mean for them to be offensive. Sometimes leaders have to make tough calls. And I know sometimes, but I love this scripture. It is to one's glory. We talk about the glory of God. But God says it is to one's glory to the one who overlooks an offense. And you are honestly looking at someone. I've made a decision years and years and years ago. I'll be that guy. I will overlook an offense. I will be that guy. Hasn't always been easy. And you've had to take the high road. And you've had to keep your mouth shut and not defend yourself. And know that ultimately time will tell the real story. And the Bible says it's to one's glory. I think over my years of pastoring, one of the greatest marks of respect I hear repeatedly of other pastors, Steve, we've known some of the things you've walked through and you've taken the high road every time. And I want to tell you the respect and the credibility of the people who count to me. That means more than just getting my revenge and getting my way. Come on, somebody say amen. And here's the thought that goes with that. You become what you cannot forgive. You become. You are bound to. You are tied to whatever it is that you can't forgive. Little boy, watching my parents drink alcohol. And I used to look at my father and I used to say, I hate you. There's not a thing I admire or respect for you. And I used to look at how he used to drink and, and, and including my mother. And I used to say as a little boy, I'll never forget, I will never do to my kids what you've done to me. Used to, I mean, it was so real, so vivid. I remember one time when my father finally gave up alcohol and he tried to reconnect with us. But the truth is, it was too late. I, I, I checked out. I'm like, Dad, no, it's been too hard. I've seen too much blood on the walls. I've seen too many police. There's been too much. And well done, Dad. You got sober. And he brought the three of us golf clubs. And he said, I want to take, take you to golf. And I said, we were playing golf at this particular golf course in Sydney that was right by a cemetery. And I think about this now, and I think, how did these words come out of my mouth? And I said, Dad, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get close to us. But look over in that cemetery. See all those dead people? You got a better chance of connecting with them than you ever have with me. I cannot forgive you what you've done. And I realized at that young, impressionable age, I began to drink at the age of 12 and 13 because you become what you cannot forgive. And I had to let that go. And I had to say, God, I'm giving that to you. And I thank God I did because now I can pass on to my children a wonderful heritage. And by the way, I had the privilege when I did become a Christian to, to lead my mother and father to Jesus and then my two brothers and my two sisters. The curse of alcohol was broken. I knew what it's like to grow up in that home, but thank God my kids don't know what it's like to grow up. Now, they've got me as a dad, so they've got their own challenges, I promise you. But at least they don't have that thing on their back in Jesus' name. You see, the Bible says, bring up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Can I tell you, the opposite is equally true. Bring up a child in the way that they shouldn't go. And when they're old, 
they won't depart from it either. Are you hearing me? If you think that regular church attendance is optional for your kids, let me tell you something. Don't be surprised when they don't want to be in God's house later on in life. Bring up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they, there's no guarantees. They still have to make their own choices. But our responsibility is to bring them up in the way that they should go. And some of us actually think more sport is more important than church. See, I'm talking about wisdom. And I'm trying to get us to actually think about principles of wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen.